And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in, in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we walk through this series in Revelation, these seven letters to seven churches and the first three chapters of Revelation, um, what we're doing here is walking through the scripture in order to allow us to walk through what we believe is God's call, direction, and vision for Covenant Church over the next 10 years. And so what we're doing in this series is really beginning to lay some of the foundation and the groundwork and and a key phrase, two words that you've begun to hear over this last month or so is gospel restoration. That we believe if we could encapsulate in just one short phrase what we believe God is sending us to do here and around the world, gospel restoration restoration, that Jesus restores and changes lives through the gospel, that that is who we are and that is what we want to be about. Over the rest of this entire year, not just this series, but throughout the year, as the sermon series unfold, you'll continue to learn just all of the moving parts and the grand picture of what that vision is. But in this series of Revelation, that is our goal, is to begin to walk you through that and give you some of the groundwork. And so to that end, as we enter into Revelation chapter 3 this morning, I want to offer you four applications. And these are four applications for Covenant Church in the light of what Jesus says to Sardis Church, the church at Sardis. So here they are. They're in your scripture insert as well. Number one, the rebuke. The church is asleep and almost dead. Number two, the call. We must wake up. Number three, the promise, the faithful will conquer. And number four, the invitation, he who has an ear, let him hear. So we begin, number one, the rebuke. Jesus gives the church a rebuke. He says essentially the church is asleep and almost dead in verse one. Let's read it again. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Here in verse 1, we learn about the Lord, we learn about the city, and we learn about the church. We're told that these are the words of Jesus directly to seven individual churches. The seven spirits that Jesus holds in his hands is the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit itself. Seven is the, word, is the number of completion in the scripture. And so he's saying, I hold the Holy Spirit to be poured out on the church, to quicken hearts, to draw them out of their sleep and to awaken them. And then he says, in my other hand, I hold the seven stars. And those seven stars are literally the bright shining seven churches in Asia Minor that he is writing to in this time and place. Jesus holds those seven churches. He holds our church. He holds the church. 
in his hands. And so this message, though it is clearly a stern message, it is a message of rebuke to the church. But nonetheless, recognize that Jesus begins by saying, I hold you, church. I hold you, believers, in my hands. It's a message of love. Then we learn a little bit about the city, the city of Sardis. We know from history that the city of Sardis had something unique. It had a fortress on top of a hill, essentially at the very top of the city, with unscalable cliff-like walls around it. And so anytime that an enemy would attack, the city, the army, the king would all go up to this fortress at the very peak of the city. And they understood, the whole uh, neighboring enemies understood that you could not possibly climb these walls and get to the, the, the people. And so they were safe. In 560 BC, though, the king of Sardis used that fort, and he and the city retreated up into the fortress when King Cyrus, the king of the mighty Persian Empire, showed up to attack. Now, I think every army, every team, every church, every business, every group of people has got that one guy. Every group's got it. If you don't know who that guy is, you're that guy. Okay. Everybody's got that guy. And Sardis was no exception. Sardis guy, we'll call him, history records that he was at the top of the fortress and he dropped his helmet. His helmet rolls down and without thinking, he literally climbed down the side of the wall, retrieved his helmet, and climbed back up the wall. In front of the entire Persian army, thereby communicating that it was, in fact, quite possible to climb the walls of the invincible fortress of Sardis. That very night, history records that the Persian army scaled the unscalable walls, and while the city of Sardis slept, they were conquered. They were destroyed. To the church, Jesus says, sleeping on the enemy will bring destruction. You sleep on the enemy, it will lead to death. And so Jesus understandably says to the church at Sardis, they know their history, they know what he means when he looks at them and says, wake up, wake up from your sleep. See, the church at Sardis had fallen asleep because they had gotten comfortable. They fell asleep because they were comfortable. Do you know the scripture and history records that there was no persecution for the church at Sardis? No persecution. Not from the Jews, not from false religions, not from the Roman Empire who demanded worship of Caesar. There was no persecution because they had so compromised the gospel. They had so watered down their faith. They had so embraced the false religions of their day and of their city that they looked no different. And they were dying. It's worth asking a question. Am I different? Is there something different about me? Not that I'm better than anybody else, but is there something different about me since Jesus entered my life? Is there something about my church that stands out that when people drive by, they know that there's something significant going on? They know that there are lives who have been restored and changed in that place. Or am I so comfortable? Nobody has any idea 
I'm a believer. No one knows. What were the idols of that city? Well, in that particular city, the false gods that they worshipped were gods like Sybil, Zeus, Hercules, Dionysius, and of course they worshipped the Caesar as God. If you want to crumple down, what what were all the the dynamics, what were the things that they worshipped when they worshipped those names and those gods and those temples and those statues? You can boil it all down to money, sex, power, pleasure. What are the idols, what are the things that we replace God with in our city that we literally go forward and we, we worship in our city, in our community, in our nation? Money, sex, power, pleasure. Romans 3 puts it this way, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. The church of Sardis was dying. You know, it's a sobering moment when you consider the fact that all seven of the churches that Jesus is writing to in the first three chapters of Revelation are now dead. They're gone. They are gone from history. Those individual churches and individual churches in general can and do die. Jesus' words here are not theory. Brothers and sisters, there are dying churches in America as well. You may say there are churches on every corner. Yes, there are church buildings on many a corner. You know, in 2014, 3,700 churches closed their doors permanently in the United States. 3,700. That's 71 churches a week closed in the United States in 2014. What's a dead church look like? What are the signs that your church is dying or dead? I'll give you three. You reject the inerrant, authoritative word of God. You embrace the comforts and the culture of your city instead of worshiping the one true God. And you become a social club. There's no outreach, there's no evangelism, there's no conversions. There's no mercy, there's no grace, because you're a social club. You're dead. Jesus puts it this way at the end of this verse. When your outward reputation is more important than your inward relationship with him, you're dead. When your outward reputation is somehow more important than your inward day-to-day life with Jesus, then you are dead. Believer, church dead. Number two, there's a call. The call is wake up. Verses two and three, listen to what Jesus adds to the starting reality of verse one. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus says, wake up. The church, this local church, is in danger of death. This week as I've been studying this passage, a a sense of sacrilegiousness, that's a word, I made it a word, felt a little sacrilegious as I immediately, as I read those words, I connected the dots 
for all of you that think distorted thoughts like me. Any Monty Python fans in the house? One or two? Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's the Middle Ages. People are dying everywhere. There's a man pushing a cart. Bring out your dead. Sacrilege. I'm going to get fired. (laughs) Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. And they bring out this old man and they lay him on the cart and they continue on their way until the old man looks back at the guy pushing the cart and says, I'm not dead yet. And he looks back at him. Yes, you are. No, I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are. Back and forth, back and forth. I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are. No, you're not. That's Sardis Church, guys. That's the situation. They're almost dead. They are a mess. They're falling apart. But think about this. Jesus never gives up on his church. You think about the number of relationships in this life that we have seen, that we have experienced, where when the relationship gets difficult, one member walks away. Jesus doesn't do that, guys. This entire letter, though stern, is a message of love because he is saying, I am not going to walk away. I want to face facts with you. I want to see you return to me. And the way to do that is to wake up. And so Jesus faces the facts. He says to them, your works are incomplete. Simplest way possible. Jesus says, you approach me half-hearted. And I don't want half of your heart. Remember the, the scripture Matthew chapter 22, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The primary application of the first point here in this verse, worship God alone and reject anything else that might claim worship in your heart. That second little bit, the primary application, you want to love your neighbor? Share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might experience what you too have experienced. Jesus is calling for our whole heart. He says, remember what you've received. Remember that you too were restored by the power of the gospel. That is, the grace of Jesus Christ saved you when you were uninterested in him. He loved you when you were unlovable, and you received that grace simply by faith as a free gift. And let me be super clear here. As Jesus is calling them to good works, understand, every single believer, Jesus saves them first. And as a follow, as a response, is a life of obedience, is a life of good works. No, we are not perfect. No, I am not perfect. But when Jesus saves me, something changes in me that says, I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to be wide awake to him. I love the way that Romans chapter 12 puts it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, That is, in view of, in light of what Jesus has already done for you, his mercy, therefore, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Jesus says, remember your salvation. 
But he's not just saying that to this church. He is saying, remember when your church was started. Remember, Sardis Church, when you were planted, what were you on fire about when this began? Do you know that the Apostle Paul and his first missionary journey planted the church at Sardis about 50 AD? This letter comes about 90 AD. Sardis Church is 40 years old. New Covenant Church was planted in 1978. This year we are 40 years old. And it begs the question, will we continue to thrive out of the truth of God's grace for us, that in amazement of what he has done for us through the gospel, that we will continue to follow in acts of love and obedience and faith, saying, Jesus has done for me what I could never do myself, therefore I want to give my life to that. What are we going to hand off to the next generation as they rise up? us specifically as a church. Jesus says, remember what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. And when he says repent, it means turn away from the sins that have so easily entangled and turn straight into the face of Jesus and walk with him. And Jesus ends this section with a warning, and it's a terrifying warning. He warns of judgment. He says, if you don't wake up, I will come against you. He means I will judge you. Jesus gives this same warning to the church at Ephesus, the church at Pergamum, and now to the church at Sardis. Repent, or I will come with judgment. What is he saying? He is not saying that their level of repentance will somehow define the moment of Jesus Christ's second return. They do not have that power or authority. What he is saying is if this church continues to do what it is doing, which is fall asleep on Jesus, that they will experience Jesus' judgment and the natural consequence of their actions, and that church will die. Dying things, unless affected, tend to die. And so Jesus gives them a clear warning of what is to come. Individual churches die. And yet the church, the body of Christ for all time cannot and will not die because it is Jesus and he holds it in his hand. I told you a moment ago about 3,700 churches closing their doors. In that same year, 2014, 4,000 new churches were planted in the United States of America an average of 77 a week. And if you do the quick math, you come away with, in the year 2014, in the United States, we gained 300. 300 new churches in the entire nation. In our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, we're a smaller group. But we have planted 52 churches a year. Every year for the last 10 years. That's literally about one church every week of the year for the last 10 years. We're thankful for that. We praise God for that. But you should also know in our own denomination, we close on average about 52 churches a year. What's the net? Zero. Zero. I think about that. I hear that. 
and my heart becomes joyfully enraged, if I can use that phrase, and I say, God, I want to be used. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Send your Holy Spirit in a fresh way to our church, to my heart, and do what only you can do, and refine me, change me, move me, do whatever you need to do in me so that those facts can change, that the church will continue to grow here in this city, this state, and this country, because that's what we want to be about when we say gospel restoration that that is what we want to see here at this church and in this community. There's a song, an old hymn. You may remember it. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. You remember that song? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. That short little hymn was written in 1926 by a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Daniel Iverson. And he wrote it after he was at an evangelism service in Orlando, Florida. And he was so overwhelmed by what he was hearing from God's word that he penned that little song. I want to put our our mission statement, the new mission statement that you have, many of you have heard in in the last several weeks in front of you. Bringing gospel restoration to people's deepest needs and our broken world. Our desire as a church is to be about the good news of Jesus, that we might see individual lives restored by the power of the gospel, recognizing that every single human being's deepest need above all the things that they might need, what they need most is the salvation that comes only from Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ changes your life and saves you, he does a mighty work of restoring you in your life. And we want to be a part of that, not only here in this city, but in this county. There are 550,000 people in Brevard County. We want to reach every single one by God's grace. And yet at the same time, we want to go to the farthest corners of the globe with the good news of Jesus. And thankfully, that's exactly what he promises. Number three, the promise. Jesus says, the faithful will conquer. Look at verses four and five with me. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. I love that phrase, a few names. One of my favorite uh, movies, a miniseries, is Band of Brothers. It highlights the 101st Airborne Division that went into Germany towards the latter end of World War II, and they had a phrase that they shared in the book about it and in the movies about it. Um, it's actually a quote of, of Shakespeare, but I can imagine this phrase just being applied to us or to the church, our local church, and to the church in general. It, it, it fires me up when I think about it. They say this, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. The idea of I am sold out together with the body of Christ for the mission of Jesus Christ to see gospel restoration happen worldwide. You remember the, the hymn, I've decided to follow Jesus. You remember the second verse in that hymn? 
It's only three simple verses again. I've decided to follow Jesus. Verse 2, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. I think it's part of the reason why Matthew chapter 16 describes the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus Christ's body here on earth, they will not prevail. We want to be a part of that unsinkable mission. You may say, man, my car isn't that nice. It's in the shop all the time. My house, I need a, I need a larger house. My yard, not winning any blue ribbons for my yard lately. Uh, my clothes, they're not that nice. But I'll tell you what, I would not trade my life for anything because when Jesus changed me, he gave me everything. And my mission, my calling in life is not to have a blue ribbon yard. It is to tell other people about the good news that I have experienced in Jesus Christ and that they can have it too. The few, the faithful, that is what we want to be a part of. Jesus says, they haven't soiled their garments. doesn't mean they're perfect. It means that they hadn't fallen asleep. It means that they hadn't forgotten their first love. It means they were more committed to Christ's opinion of them than they were to the world's opinion of them. Jesus says that they walk with him. They literally walk with Jesus. You know, if you walk with Jesus, you will absolutely be out of step with this culture. If you walk with Jesus, you will absolutely be out of step with this world. You will stand out. You will be resisted. But you walk with Jesus because you know that only Jesus restores brokenness. You walk with Jesus because you know that through him, by him, by his work on your behalf, that you too are now covered in the white garments of his perfection, his purity, and his holiness. Not because you made your own garments white. Not because you cleaned up and you looked really good. The scripture says that you will be clothed, passive, receiving. Jesus does for you what you cannot do yourself. That's why Isaiah 61, he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. That's why Isaiah 64 follows it up by saying, all our righteous acts, our supposed righteous acts, are like what? Filthy rags. All our righteousness, filthy rags. Jesus declares them worthy because Jesus had paid for their sins. He is the one who ultimately conquers that enables us to conquer. And what is it that he, that we with him overcome, that we persevere over, that we conquer? The enemy, sin and Satan and death have been defeated by Jesus and we get to be a part of that. And so when Jesus conquered sin and death, he made a way for you to be with him in eternity with his heavenly father for all time. And at the same time, until that moment that Jesus returns, that we get to be and are called to be a part of his mission of seeing the lost come to know Jesus and experience restored relationship with the Father. The faithful will conquer, says Jesus. I'll tell you another little story from history. 
1755 is the year that independent Presbyterian church was planted in the port city of Savannah, Georgia. 1755. In 1874, almost 75 years later, a man named Halver Iverson, a ship's carpenter, was converted through the ministry of that church and became a chaplain evangelist at sea. Shared the gospel on more than 900 ships through the remainder of his life. In 1902, that same man, Halver Iverson, was able to, with his family, attend an evangelistic service under the preaching of Dwight L. Moody. That evening, they had Dwight L. Moody over for dinner, and Dwight L. Moody looked at Halver's son, Daniel, and challenged him to join the ministry at the age of 12 years old. Daniel Iverson ultimately accepted that call that was from the Lord. He became known as Preacher Daniel Iverson. He's the man who wrote the song, Spirit of the Living God. And he planted Shenandoah Presbyterian Church in Miami in 1927. And through the life of that church and his ministry there, over 4,000 people were converted to Christ. And it is a parent church to many, if not most, of the PCA churches in the state of Florida to this day. His son is Bill Iverson. Bill Iverson continues to pastor well over 60 years now, first in urban Atlanta and now in Newark, New Jersey. His son is Dan Iverson. Dan Iverson will be joining us once again for our Missions Week in October. A number of our young adults just joined Dan Iverson in Japan. He is in the Chiba province of Japan where he has labored for over 30 years. Where there was not one church, there is now an entire presbytery of churches in Japan. His sons, I was blessed to go to seminary with. Two of his sons and son-in-law are now actively planting in Atlanta, in Bangladesh, and in India faithful few. When God calls, He will do it. No glory to them. All glory to God. A faithful few. That's what I want the story of our church to be. That's what I want the story of my children to be. A faithful few. And so Jesus appropriately ends, number four, by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you don't know Jesus the way that's being described this morning as your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus says, if you've got ears, listen and respond. Brothers and sisters, if you do know Jesus this morning, he says, listen. If you have ears, hear. If there are places where the Holy Spirit has begun convicting you and saying, you're asleep, wake up. If he's begun convicting you about our church, saying you're asleep, wake up. Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then hear. And understand that the promise is built out of the last couple verses that he gave us. In those last couple of verses, you know what he says? He says, I will not blot out your name from the Lamb's book of life. Rather, I will confess your name to the Heavenly Father. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus' book. He says it will never be erased. That's grace. You know, in the New Testament, the Romans, before they would crucify a man, 
the last thing that they would do to utterly humiliate him would be that they would delete his name. They would delete his name, his story, his record as they rejected and killed him. And Jesus says otherwise. He says, even if you have begun to fall asleep on me, wake up. He gives the promise of eternal life. And so again, I say, if you don't know Jesus in that way, open your ears. Open your eyes. I pray that the Holy Spirit works in you even now that you would understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross to save you from your sins, to pay for your debt so that you could inherit his perfect white robes of righteousness so that you personally might spend eternity in heaven restored in relationship with God the Father. Today is the day. Why wait? Brothers and sisters, do not forget your first love. Do not forget what Jesus has done for us. Let me close just by reading one verse from Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. I love the picture of what Jesus promises here in the book. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, Jesus, King Jesus, being praised and worshiped as his people stand around him in pure white robes, not robes that they earned, not robes that were given to them because they impressed you, but the gift of salvation by grace received through faith alone. Lord Jesus, would you wake us up, Father, anywhere and everywhere, that you might see that we are sleepy. Father, let us reject the idols of comfort that so easily entangle and draw us away from worship of the one true God. Father, let it never be spoken of us that we are a social club, Father, let it never be spoken of us that we have rejected your authority in your word. Lord, let it never be spoken of us that we have become so compromised and so comfortable with the lies and the deceits of this world that we forget that we get lost and we lose sight of the grace, the salvation, the goodness, and the joy of following Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone and everyone who has not experienced and had their life changed by that good news. Lord, may they know. May they know today. And Father, would you use our lives, our voices, our church, our small groups, our children, God, use us to declare the good news of Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.